With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's up, everybody? This is Stick to Football, Bleacher Reports, College Football, and NFL Draft Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Miller. Joined on this wonderful Monday by my boy, Mello. It's New Year's Eve, most likely, when folks are listening to this on Monday morning. We have not been fired yet. A lot of NFL coaches have been. Some college coaches have been. A lot going on uh, both sides of it and in the middle ground where it affects the NFL Draft. So we got a pretty fun show to get to today. Yeah, I believe they used to call this Black Monday. We know that there are going to be about six to seven jobs open every year. Uh, So even if you don't think your team is one of those, uh, we know the Browns job is open. We know the Packers job is open. So we'll get to find out. There are going to be a couple more open uh, probably by the end of the day when you're listening to this. Yeah, and uh, some openings in college football that we're going to get to. Uh, We are going to preview a lot of those New Year Bowl games. We're going to give you our review of the college football playoff games. Notre Dame, Clemson, Oklahoma, Alabama. What did we see from a scout perspective? What did we see from uh, these guys going forward? Who's going to get in there on the next round? That game happens in one week, so a lot of excitement. I'll actually be in New York. I just realized that. I will not watch that game with you. So that's that's sad. Yeah, you, I mean, you are going to be traveling a lot here uh, in the next month or so. So I'm going to have some separation anxiety, I think. It's going to be rough. <laughs> Thank God for FaceTime. <laughs> it's going to be rough. All right, let's get to all the news. And the thing that I, I saw uh, come across today uh, as I was watching the games on Sunday and you and I talked about briefly was the Oakland Raiders have an opening for a general manager. They got to get somebody in there. They let Reggie McKenzie go. And this is an interesting job. It's it's a prime spot because you have you have four of the top 35 picks in the draft thanks to some of those trades. You have a pretty good quarterback in Derek Carr. You have a weird as fuck owner. Uh, you got a head coach who's there for another nine years and like $90 million. You're moving to Vegas. You might be playing next year in London. So there are a lot of like pros and cons if you want to be Ben Franklin and, and make a list on this thing. But the news that came out Sunday is that NFL Network's Mike Mayock has interviewed for this job, and that surprises the hell out of me. It's surprising because you keep going back to these guys who, I mean, he's not in the league. He does do a lot of draft and the general manager kind of stuff, but he's not in the NFL. He hasn't been for a very long time. We saw this last year with Doug. The guy from ESPN throwing his name in the hat. Lewis Riddick. Yeah, trying to get a GM job. And he hasn't been out that long, at least. Right, right. And was high up at one point. So, you know, Mike Mayock, uh, fantastic on TV. So I I have no jealousy toward him. I think he's very good at his job. And and guys like him make this job possible for me. He played in the NFL. uh, His last year was the year I was born, actually. So uh, that's why we can't remember him as a player. But uh, he, he did have some time in the league and has been with the NFL Network for a very long time he's been there really since uh, seems like he was one of the ogs like, like when it first started four ish probably when it would have first started but he does a great job there and i will say this as someone who i've i've had this job for eight years and i feel like i'm decent at it i'm not qualified to go be a gm for a team 
Right. It's very different. Not in it. Yeah. It's easy to put together a draft board and try to draft for certain teams and everything, but you know, you're gonna need probably a salary cap guy if you hire Mike Mayock. I doubt that he dabbles in that realm too much and it's complicated as fuck to yeah. tell you the truth and i i don't have the network of scouts to hire and that's one thing like we talked about with chris ballard uh, brett veach guys like that when they take gm jobs it's so much about their network of people they can bring in you look what ballard did getting um ed dodds and rex hogan to come to indy with him that's super important who am I going to put you and Jared it's, and Connor? Like, it's that old Jerry Maguire type deal. Like, all right, who's coming, who's with, coming with me? And that's what people want to know when they interview for this. So I don't know. Maybe he does still have a lot of connections with scouts and he's got a team lined up. That If I ever do this, you coming with me. So I don't know. It will be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, it is. a It's a very enticing job going to Vegas, having all those first round picks, having Derek Carr, who is talented. So I don't know. We'll see what happens with that. And it is low expectations, I think. Right now, I think because so like, too. and they're not any good. So if you come in there and you could turn around, I mean, you could be a, a hero. Working for Mark Davis would be tough for me. Like I, I don't know if I could because he is. I mean, he's reportedly or allegedly the poorest of the NFL owners. So I think you're going to run into problems with that. Like I've always heard about guys who worked in Cincinnati or Oakland. They're like, I mean, it's just you don't you don't even get to travel to as many games because they don't want to pay for it and and it you run into some obstacles because your owner doesn't want to pay for scouting so yeah we'll see if if mayock takes the job if not one thing i i have heard is they want experience now as opposed to someone younger so that makes sense why they're going after guys uh, they went after john gruden so they obviously want experience yeah no they don't care if you've done it in a couple years yeah you you talked about enticing jobs I think this one is, despite the fact that Miami had a down year, the Miami Hurricanes, Mark Rick comes out Sunday and was like, hey, I'm retiring, which was a shock. He's only been there, I believe, two years. This Uh, was his third season. His third season. And it was funny because he was kind of one of those people we thought, man, if he didn't have this massive buyout, he would be on the hot seat. Like maybe even let go because they horribly underperformed this year. And they now did, he they had so much talent. And to me, this almost feels like the, his his son was the quarterback coach there. And I don't know if anybody watched the games this year. They didn't get any good play from their quarterbacks. They had two pretty talented ones, both of them very bad years. It almost feels like he was told maybe he needs to let his son go. And he was just like, no, I'm retiring. Because it was very sudden. They shit the bed in the bowl game, just got rolled by Wisconsin. And then he retires on Sunday morning. So I don't know, something doesn't seem right there. But is Miami still like a a lucrative job that people are going to want to go to? I, you know, the word is they are maybe talking about Rex Ryan, uh, which surprises the hell out of me. I, I think it's more like right now it's all about like who used to do this job and would come do it again instead of going after like call Cliff Kingsbury. Like, let's just get fucking crazy. Yeah. Him with the talent from Miami. Oh it, my God. Well, what I've heard is that it's Mario Cristobal's job if he wants. It. Oh man. He, he did coach at Miami before he's a Miami guy. But he just signed a very, very good recruiting class at Oregon. Yeah. He has a number one draft pick coming back to Oregon. I don't know that I would leave Oregon for Miami. Like, I get it. They're the U. 
they're a traditional powerhouse usually, but I think he's got a pretty damn good thing going on there in Oregon right now. I, I think, yeah, I mean, like you said, Oregon is, you're not going to, but he did just sign a great recruiting class, so it kind of negates the fact that you would think traditionally you're not going to get the athletes and the players that you could yeah, at Miami. It's the best recruiting class they've ever had at Oregon. Yeah. I mean, he signed a great pass rusher and some really talented kids there. But so. the facilities at Oregon are some of the best in the country. Exactly. You have all that Nike money. I know a lot of Miami alums. Uh, they fucking hate the facilities there. They talk about like the stadium is a dump. It's like they they play at the Dolphin Stadium. It needs to get moved. It's not on campus. Like it's just not a great atmosphere. I think Oregon is actually a better job than Miami right now. I would stay if I were Cristobal. And I know that he, the ties to Miami are probably going to be strong there to go back. But I think he's got a really good thing going on in Oregon right now, and yeah. he should probably hang out there. One of the best teams in the Pac-12. Right. Like, if you go to Miami, you got to play in the ACC. Like, there's a team down there called Clemson. Yeah, pretty good. Pretty, pretty damn good. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you've missed it. But, and even like, I mean, Florida State's going to return a lot of guys next year. You you have, uh, you know, you're going to play Florida, which is a, a pretty damn good team, as we saw, and they have a lot of talent. So I I know Cristobal's a hot name. I think his buyout's like $10 million. Yeah, he does. He has a huge buyout that runs until next January. So if Miami wants him, they're going to have to pay up. Uh, they did have a couple guys in-house. I know Manny Diaz just left to take that Temple job. Horrible timing. Horrible timing because that just happened recently. I I think he's a guy that maybe would have been uh, a good fit there. He's another Miami guy. He's a great defensive coordinator. He really is. He was even at Texas for a little while, Mississippi State. He was at Miami. Uh, he's a guy that they probably could have looked at if they – if they can't get Cristobal, I don't know if you can get out of your deal before uh, you really sign it like that. I guess you could. I mean, you could. And I would I would hope that the fan base at Temple would understand that and just let him go back to Miami. But I don't, I don't know if that would work. So I throw out Cliff Kingsbury because I'm all about chaos and like, let's just get crazy. How about Lane Kiffin? He's already in that's, Florida. Yeah. And so when I saw the news that Rick had been that he retired, that's immediately what I went to. Like, who's a Florida coach? That could come back there. So I thought FAU and FIU, except for the FIU coach, is Butch Davis. <laughs> uh, I don't think they're going to welcome him back to Miami. No. He's done a very good job at FIU, yeah, though. But, but yeah, Lane yeah. Kiffin, I think that that would work out, except for maybe all the pretty girls walking around Miami. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the situation's like at Florida Atlantic, but I, he's got to get his name back in the in the coaching in, ring in the before five. too long. Yeah. Yeah. So Mark Rick out. Our guy, my guy, Major Applewhite, fired at Houston today. Hate to say that we probably saw it coming, especially when he and Ed Oliver get into it a couple times a year. Uh, it just it seemed like he it, it never really worked for him as a head coach. He's a good coordinator, uh, a good assistant, maybe a good quarterbacks coach. Probably not cut out to be a head coach or, or hopefully has learned some lessons from what didn't go well at Houston this time around. But that's a job that. Surprisingly, everyone has already linked Dana Holgerson to. I cannot why? believe it. Why, why, why would you go from West Virginia to Houston? And I like people will say, well, you can recruit Texas at Houston. Yeah, good luck. Right. Like, who's been able to? Like, no. you got one player out of Houston to stay because his brother played. Yeah, his brother was already <laughs> there. So, like, I don't know. I don't get it. Uh, I think this all goes back to Dana Holgerson 
wants a fucking extension. Yeah, like, just give it to him. He has put his name in the hat for like every job opening he's been tied to. And I think this is just another situation. Like he's not a Houston guy. He's born in fucking Iowa. He was just an offensive coordinator there. It's not like he has strong ties to the Cougars. I don't get it. I don't, I don't know why you would leave West Virginia to go to Houston. I have strong ties to Cougars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really don't, but that just sounded funny. Yeah, it is. Like, I don't really understand where that comes from because he was, I mean, he was at Houston for a year. Right. I mean, he, this isn't a thing where he was there yeah. forever. He was at A&M too, I believe. I, I think. Yeah, right. Or Tech. Why wouldn't West Virginia just lock this guy up though? Yeah, I, mean, I think they, they really should. I I don't think you're going to get a better coach in West Virginia than what you have in Dana Holmes. He's had one losing season, and that was his uh, third year there. So he's been very, very good at West Virginia. I mean, you think of the quarterback progressions that they've had there from Geno Smith to Will Greer. And, yeah, they're going to have to reinvent themselves a little bit. They've lost three straight bowl games, which is concerning. But they've made three straight bowl games. In a Big 12, it's been pretty competitive thanks to, like, Oklahoma has been dominant. Uh, Oklahoma State's always good. Texas has rebounded a little bit. I, I don't quite understand the hesitation there for them to just make it official, just lock him up. Yeah, I I don't know what, like what the money situation is, but he's only making uh 3.5 million right now. So I don't know what he wants to get up to, maybe 5. Uh but I would I would do it. I would pull the trigger on him. I just I don't think you're going to have a lot of options that are beating down the door to get into Morgantown. I I, I don't have anything against West Virginia. I think Dana Horgerson has done an exceptional job there in building that program and continuing some success they had carried over from the Big East days, but I I would not replace him. I, and he is the 32nd highest paid coach in college football. I believe, and I, I want to double check this if I if we have time, but I think it's something where his buyout right now is really, really high. But after January 1st, it becomes a million dollars. I believe he's the coach where his buyout almost goes away after the new year. So, yeah, I mean, it is like when you look at the list of people getting paid more than him, it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. It was Oliver Luck that hired him, so there's no telling. Like, he hired him. I don't know if you remember this. He rehired him to be the offensive coordinator and the head coach in waiting. Oh, I do remember that. And then yeah. he got into, like, a huge fight with, obviously, the head coach that was currently there. And so that didn't last, and then he just got named head coach. Yeah, well, whatever it takes. This wasn't on the rundown, but I want to throw it at you because I, I just saw this. Dana Holgerson's the 32nd highest paid coach. You know who's 31st? Pat Fitzgerald. And there's mm. talk that the Packers are going to try to steal him from Northwestern. I think I've said for so many years, people will ask me, hey, if you were ever going to work in the NFL, who would you want to work for? And I've always said the Packers. I'm not from Green Bay, obviously. I'm not a Packers fan. But working for that franchise would be amazing. Great ownership, great city. It's a cool structure. You have a very good quarterback there. I think this is a one job, Pat. Fitzgerald might actually listen to I like to. that fit, too. Bringing in a defensive guy. Who, he does have NFL ties as well, yeah. too. And I think he's kind of capped out what Northwestern can be. I don't think they're going to be a powerhouse in the Big Ten. or no. Yeah, Big Ten. So going to Green Bay, I I would like that fit for him. I know, he is a Northwestern guy, though. So are you going to leave your alma mater? And that's what I was going to say. Like, there are only so many jobs you could leave your alma mater for, right? Like, it, it becomes tough when you you go home. Mm -hmm. Green Bay, the Packers is one of those jobs. You're like, okay, I think everybody would understand this, except for they're all Bears fans at Northwestern, so they'd be pretty pissed. They, but they did play in the Big Ten Conference Championship game. I guess I can't overlook that right. fact. But it was a weird year for the Big Ten, yeah, especially in the Old West. But I don't, I don't know. Good for him. I do love him. I would love to play for him, but I don't. 
I don't know. If the Packers came knocking on my door, I think it'd be it'd be hard to turn down that job no matter where you're at. I'm now addicted to this USA Today coaching salaries list. Nick Saban's buyout is $33 million. Good God. <laughs> like, okay, cool. I mean, Scott Frost is, uh, what, where did I, Scott Frost is $25 million. Dabo is $35 million. Jimbo Fisher's buyout is $68 million. Yeah, he signed like a 10-year deal. So. Yeah. My God, I, I love things like this, like the salary breakdown things. Uh, I'll get stuck in like looking at teacher salaries for like a day. Oh, you know, tell me about being it. Like, oh, man, these guys are underpaid. Uh, let's get to some draft news. Uh, draft advisory board, uh, which is set up where players who are considering entering the draft can submit their name. A, a group of scouts, personnel people re- reply with feedback. It's either first round, second round, or go back to school is how it works. So, um, or uh, sorry, first round, second, third, go back to school. And we got a couple people uh, who. It's leaked now, the grade that they got. I think the biggest surprise is that Byron Murphy from Washington, a corner that we all really like, Connor loves him, got back a second-round grade from the advisory board. And I'm pretty sure we mocked him in the first round we did. when we did our first mock draft Monday. And he, I think he could be corner one or two. Like, he has that upside. So for him to get a second-round grade, I just I don't see it. I think he's a first-round talent. I don't know. Maybe they're playing it safe, and they don't want to give small. out too many first-round grades. Yeah. Or what it what it is, but I don't know. I do really like Brian Murphy's game, but I would also I wouldn't mind seeing him come back to Washington. Yeah, I mean that's gonna be a hell of a, a team next year. I think size is maybe the only thing that holds them back with him. You know, he, he's five. He's listed at five eleven. He looks slender too. Yes, I know he was like one seventy when he got there. I think he is up to like one eighty five. But that's a small guy. Denzel Ward last year was the same size. The flip side to that is Denzel Ward's now had a couple concussions, so I think you you're always going to worry about smaller guys. Somebody's not small. Colin Johnson got a stay in school grade from the advisory committee, and Mello automatically smiles. You're just like, yes, yes. I could not Thank believe you, it. God. That, for one, that he got the stay in school. And uh, the NFL advisory committee just let me know who I need to make that check payable to, and I'll get that sent out in the mail. Uh, we really appreciate <laughs> you guys doing that for Colin. Uh, just make sure you give the same grade to little Jordan Humphrey, too. Yeah, I like Colin. I, I think the thing is here, I try to not have burnt orange colored glasses on when watching these guys. He's great at one thing and that's jump ball. That's all right, I, right. I don't know that I've ever seen him run a route. It's just go down the field and he'll throw it deep. Sam will throw it and you jump and catch it. Yeah. And I could see him getting into the second or third round. Uh, maybe the second round now that I think about it though, but he, I do think he should come back to school. Even if we're not looking through the biased lens of being Texas fans, uh, he is a guy that could really pay off from having a big senior season. Uh, kind of like Hakeem Butler, another guy that just blew up this year and really improved his draft stock. So I, I hope Colin Johnson can do the same thing next year when he comes back. If you missed it Saturday night, you missed two fantastic games. Uh, I want to, because we don't give ourselves enough credit on this podcast, and we're right, I don't think. We're, we'll do more Probably of that not. this year. My New Year's resolution. <laughs> brag more when we're right about things. Uh, you predicted that Clemson was going to beat the shit out of Notre Dame. And I was like, eh. Yeah, I, I said they were I going. I thought Clemson would win. I And I went bold. I said 21 points is what they would win by. And honestly, I was kind of second-guessing myself uh, in the first half. But I was very, very right. Clemson blows the doors off these guys 30-3. to three, And really, if you watch that game, it wasn't that close. It could have been 60-3 no. to three 
if Clemson wanted it to. Uh, they just didn't. They looked damn near perfect with, against Notre Dame. And with without Dexter Lawrence, I, I think that's one of the keys. Albert Huggins stepped in, and hey, Huggins, good player, uh, did fine, but he's not Dexter Lawrence. So right. this will be a very, very different thing when, when they face Alabama next week. And all my notes are about Clemson, and I want to start right here with another, uh, giving you credit. Trevor Lawrence is the real fucking deal. I He's one of the best quarterbacks I've ever seen, and I've not been doing this as long as you, but we even look at guys like Tua and Fromm. I just I don't think they have as much as what he does. Uh, the guy who hired me at Bleach Report, Dylan McNamara, uh, still there, good friend of ours, he he uh, tweeted at me. He was like, it, would Trevor Lawrence be QB1 for you if he were eligible? I was like, oh, absolutely. Like he or asked if he'd be a first-rounder. Today. And yeah, he would be right now. And I said, you know, he reminds me of Josh Rosen and just how natural he is as a thrower, but he's bigger, stronger-armed, faster, yeah. and other than his hair— <laughs> allegedly not a right. douche. So it's like you, there's nothing to gripe about. And it, he's only a freshman year, but by this point we had heard all these things about Rosen. So as long as he stays healthy, he looks like a guy who will be a number one pick in 2021, which sucks. We got to wait two more years for it. Yeah. And I mean, get used to seeing Alabama and Clemson in the national championships because these both teams are so young and so loaded with talent with just, I mean, you, if you watch these games, it's sophomores and freshmen. Yes. The Clemson receivers, Justin Ross, T. Higgins. Ross is a true freshman. Higgins is a true sophomore with ETN, who's a sophomore. Yeah. And also, oh, yeah, Trevor Lawrence is a true freshman. It's ridiculous what they're doing so young. And what's weird, like uh, Clemson's left tackle, Mitch Hyatt, is a senior, and he'll probably get drafted late. He's a fine player. But like their right tackle is so much better than him, and we'll probably play left tackle next year. It's like the seniors in there, and he's good and he's experienced, but they're probably going to get better, right? As he kind of phases out, yeah, they're they're not taking a step back anytime soon, and they have probably the second best coach in the country, and Dabo Sweeney. So Trevor Lawrence is the real deal. We're going to be talking about him a lot for the next two years. How about Cleveland Farrell? Though? Farrell, Cleveland Farrell, though, uh, in a game where I think he needed to remind people, it, it, myself included, in this. Just how special he is, he looked very special. It, it was kind of a quiet year for him, uh, not even just in terms of production, but I, I think in terms of traits flashing. But he looked like a top 10 pick again, which it is just, what he did yeah. last year in the playoff. It seemed like every time somebody talked about Clemson's defense, they talked about their entire defensive line. So in a weird uh, way, he was kind of overlooked this year, even though he's the Hendricks Award winner. Like He's very good. This edge class between him, Josh Allen, and Bosa, this it's going to be very special. And I really like Farrell. I think he's going to be a top 10 pick. So hard to say that. It really <laughs> is when you've been calling a guy Farrell for a very long time. But I mean, he's the way he gets off the ball, it almost seems like he's just timing up the snap count and has it every time. Yeah. He has one of the quickest first steps I've ever seen. And arms down to the ground oh, yeah. with just length. I wish he could go to the Senior Bowl. Uh, I don't know if he's an early graduate guy, but I would love to see him. I don't think he needs to go to the Senior <laughs> right. Bowl. No, you just want to see him way away. And, right. I just yeah. want to shake his damn hand from a right. mile away with those arms. Jesus. That's one of my favorite lines about scouting is he could scratch his knee without bending over. Yeah, and exactly. He could, he could probably scratch his ankle without bending over. You mentioned Justin Ross and T. Higgins. I just want to get their names on the record as early as possible as being very, very good players. Very good. The 2020 wide receiver class is going to be amazing. I mean, you can look at the three guys at Michigan with Collins, Black, and Peoples-Jones are very good. Jerry Judy at Alabama, very, very good. 
T. Higgins is right there in the running to be the first receiver selected next year as well. Definitely, definitely. And he's been um, uh, it's weird. We always say like you can't look at recruiting. It won't help you with the draft, but it will give you like an idea, a heads up of of players to watch. And he was one of them. Higgins was a, a big time recruit coming out and he's proving it on the field. Clemson has quietly become wide receiver you. And I don't think there's any question about it. They just year after year are producing guys or they will keep a guy like Hunter Renfro for seven years and somehow right. keep him eligible. I don't know. Dr. Renfro, a uh, <laughs> hell of a player. They are so deep at, at wide receiver. It's, it's very impressive. So uh, on the flip side of this for Notre Dame, uh, they're another team that other defensively they're they're old. They're going to lose Julian Love is a guy who got a second round grade from the advisory committee. He's probably going to declare. Jerry Tillery's a senior. He's gone. Drew Tranquil's a senior. He's gone as well. Uh, and then offensively, uh, the good news is they don't lose much. So this is a team that could be back next year if you trust Brian Kelly to consistently put together winning seasons. Yeah, and that's been tough for the Irish. So I don't know. Um, Ian Book had a pretty damn good year. I don't know that. But he had a bad game against Clemson. Yeah, I don't know that I'm really sold on him. And I don't even know if the Notre Dame staff was. I mean, it's not like they made him the starter at the beginning of the year. So I don't know. And Brandon Wimbush will transfer somewhere else. But I don't know. We'll see. I did not have Notre Dame... Uh, ranked very highly. Nor did I. So we'll see. Maybe they'll come back to earth. Maybe like the Eagles. You know, like they surprise everyone and make a run. And then the next year, you know, they're they're struggling to get into the playoffs. So the the nightcap of this one, uh, which was a little bit closer, but a lot of the, the points for Oklahoma came in the second half when the game was out of hand. Alabama, Oklahoma. Alabama just basically reminded everyone that they're the baddest MFers on the block. And to approve to everybody that guess what? He should have won the Heisman Trophy, or we should at least fucking wait until after the bowl games. If people are going to make their vote based on one game, shouldn't you let the two biggest games of the year happen first? Exactly. How would—and maybe we're the wrong people to ask. Connor's at the Rose Bowl right now. We can't ask him. If you were a a person that voted for Kyler Murray, how do you feel this morning when you basically Mm -hmm. gave him the award based on Tua having a bad game against Georgia when he was hurt? Yeah, and maybe— you know, a lot of those voters will still come out and say, oh, Kyler Murray played very well against Alabama. If they're looking at a stat line, it's exceptional. But I think there are a lot, also a lot of people that would say, you know what, I I would change my vote. If I had to do it over again, I would change my vote to Tua. And they they should have that chance to because we shouldn't be voting for the Heisman when you still have two of the biggest games left. Yeah. And I mean, Tua last night. Or excuse Saturday night, 24 of 27, which is a record for the Orange Bowl. He threw more touchdowns, four, than incomplete passes, three, and affected the game on the ground. And I think a lot of the people that say, oh, well, look, he has Irv Smith and he has Judy and he has all those running backs behind him. But he also has to make some very difficult throws. And, you know, it's on Oklahoma for not knowing how to defend a slant route yeah. and leaving them open time and time again. It, when I was watching the game, the one thing that I noticed is that Tua is very good pre-snap. I don't think he gets enough credit for that. Um, and I don't know why, but Oklahoma was not disguising blitzes. Yeah. They were bringing corners, and Tua was figuring out very quickly. He'd shoot that hand up there and point right at the guy who was blitzing, and then guess what? He's throwing the quick slant right at the blitz because he knew he had some mismatched numbers over there, and it just it worked every time. 24 out of 27 on the completion percentage. He knew where he was going to go with the ball before the ball was even snapped. It, it was a very good performance on his part. One of the biggest takeaways for me watching this game, and it's some of this isn't fair because we haven't seen Nick Bosa in such a long time, but I'm watching Quentin Williams. I'm like, man, 
he might be the best player in the country as far as draft prospects go. He might be the number one player. He's a stud, man. I mean, against the run, against the pass, there were a couple of times he was offsides, and it was funny because you get to see just the quickness because no one else is moving, but you see his first step and his hand play, and and then you see when the offense actually snaps the ball. That poor right guard for Oklahoma, Samaya, was chippy as fuck all night because he was tired <laughs> he of getting was. his ass whipped by Williams. And it's like... He's impressive, and I think right now the Arizona Cardinals, uh, well, as we're recording this Sunday night, the game's not over, but they're, they're losing, so it's likely they're going to have the number one pick. I think they might have to think about taking Quinn and Williams because they do have Marcus Golden and Chandler Jones. Maybe you consider the inside pass rush, like an Aaron Donald, over the outside pass rush. And he's a definitely a guy that can do it. I haven't got a really good look at his like body type. I don't know if he's a guy that could cut a little bit of weight and play that three, four defensive end, or if he could be that disruptive from the nose tackle position, but watching him play is something special. I don't know that I've ever seen a, a defensive lineman, his size get off the ball so quickly and, and use his hands too to be able to get up, beat the offensive lineman and then keep him off of you with his hands. There's a point he was literally triple teamed. Yeah. I mean, he, he got checked by a guard, but at one point, three people were trying to block him and they couldn't do it because he's already penetrating that line of scrimmage uh, by the time the quarterback gets the ball. And not many other people have been able to do that in college football. And we just haven't seen it like him before. He's listed at 6'4", 290. So. Yeah, so with his quickness, I mean, I think he could play that defensive end spot in a 3-4. He could play in a 4-3. He fits any defense. But, yeah, for the Cardinals to get him, he, I'm trying to think of like a comp for him, but I just, I don't know that I like, I wanted to say Gerald McCoy earlier, but I think he's better than that. He's potentially quicker. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would maybe be, yeah. The two that we could go with John Randall. (laughs) Who's the, the Cardinals used to have that guy that was really big. Clayus Campbell. Yes. Like a shorter Clayus Campbell. Campbell's like six, six. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, I was going way back to like, yeah, like a giant, no. like John Henderson. I kept thinking John Henderson, but I knew that wasn't right. They like right. those tall people, and he's not quite that tall. But he looked fantastic. The other player that right, I I love this guy. I talked to you all season about him. Josh Jacobs, a running back for Alabama, is one of my favorite players in the country. Not only because he put that Oklahoma defender in a coffin last night when he tried to get oh, in front and of then him. just broke another one in half with a juke move. Yeah, he's special. He would be the number one running back for me in this class if he were to declare. And I've said before, when I talked to people at the school, they were like, yeah, we think he'll probably come back. I'm like, what? Yeah, I don't know. The, Why? Drinking the Kool-Aid down there. I think he wants his chance to be that feature back. And I know that a lot of people have talked about Najee Harris, but I think if Jacobs comes back, he's going to be that number one back again. It's just that's what Nick Saban does. He gives the ball to his seniors uh, this year with Damian Harris. Like, yeah, that stable of running backs is so impressive. It's not fair. It's really not fair at all that they have that much talent and just keep rolling it over and over. On the Oklahoma side of things, Kyler Murray took some hits uh, that made me think he's going to want to go hit the baseball instead of taking hits from players. One from Quentin Williams where Quentin exactly. ripped his head off. Right. Uh, and then his right guard fell on him too. Uh Kyler Murray didn't look uh, great. Uh, he did rebound well. Marquise Brown was invisible, and I know he's been hurt, and they said the humidity bothered him, but I think for a small wide receiver, you, you're going to worry a little bit when the dude disappeared on the in the biggest game of his career. Yeah, and especially when you got a guy like C.D. Lamb next to him, 
uh, kind of taken a lot of his attention. I don't, I don't know which one I would have rated as the higher prospect, um, but obviously Brown's probably a little bit injured. I won't hold this game against him too much. Uh, as long as he can get healthy and he can still show off what he can do in the combine, uh, that's what I think he needs to worry about next. CD Lamb, that block he put on Mac Wilson. Yeah, he, Jesus that is Christ. not a small man to be blocking against. So we don't talk very highly of o- Oklahoma on here very often, but that block was to have the balls to go block Mac Wilson. I mean, it takes a lot of them, and he did it, and he hit him square in the chest. Yeah, it was a it was a hell of a play, and Mac Wilson hops up clapping like you yeah, got and, me, and he even congratulated him on Twitter. He's like, "Yeah, you definitely got me." But I mean, we won. <laughs> yeah, we, we got the W, but... Right, and that's all that matters at the end of the day. It's weird because the college football playoff first round has already happened, and yet we still have some New Year's Eve and New Year's Day games to get to. It feels weird that, like... Yeah. Like, I'm such... Like, I'm programmed for the NFL, where it's like, the season ends and there's the playoffs. Right, yeah, I know. It, college football is like, oh, wait. I should go over. back and change our resolutions, <laughs> yeah. and we should fix that. Like, we should play all these New Year's... You know, the New Year's Six games and then have the playoff. But, you know, whatever. I do like the New Year's Six line. Like, it's it's easy for me to... It makes people feel special. I'm very OCD, so it's like, this is to the point. Like, let <laughs> me know what it is. There are, uh, I, I believe, six games that we're going to break down. That's convenient. <laughs> the New Year's Six. <laughs> and uh, it's important to note, these will be the last... These six games, then one more, but I think we'll probably pick the same team for the national championship game. You currently have a one game lead on me in the standings. 51 to 20. You're 51 and 23. I'm 50 and 24. And I'm looking at our picks for this week, and they're not that different. Uh, we, it looks like, yeah, we got two games. Two a games bit that are different. So it's, it's really going to come down to this <laughs> week. So it's big. This is a big week. Let's start with the game that. If I could pick two college football coaches and watch them fight, yeah, it would be these two. Oh, Northwestern definitely. versus Utah, and I think I would take Pat Fitzgerald in a fight against Kyle Whittingham. I agree with that too, and we've talked highly of old Fitzgerald here. Um, but his football team, if we're going to look at those guys, these are two very, very good defenses, as you would guess from their coaching staffs. Um, but that Utah defense is really looking pretty special this year. Their quarterback, Huntley, is listed as questionable. But everything that I was able to find says it, it sounds like he's going to play in this bowl game. And I think that's going to make a big difference going up against Northwestern, who does have some talent on offense. I mean, they've they've got Clayton Thorson, who's looked at as, at one point, maybe even a first-round quarterback. Uh, we'll see him at the Senior Bowl, but Iowa or sorry, Utah is going to get a better look against him this weekend. I'm going to go with Utah in this game. Yeah, I am too. Uh, and this one was actually tough for me. I, I kind of went back and forth on it, but I think Utah is, I believe they're favored. Is that right? Yeah, they're favored. This is, I just think Utah's toughness on defense is so, it's one of those things like we talk about often, but I feel like it's still overlooked enough. Uh, they are very good. Like I said, Huntley being questionable is huge, but Moss, the running back, is a Dud, and I think he can be a difference maker. Northwestern, for being uh, a team that is coached by a former linebacker, a, a stud player, uh, when he was back there, like they have allowed some people to score this year, and I think we'll see Utah right. uh, be able to do that. They can run the ball very well. They're going to keep uh, Northwestern's offense in check, so I expect a, a maybe a low scoring game. Uh, I'm, I think the over under is set at forty six, so it's a pretty low scoring game for college football these days. So uh, I'll take Utah as well. 
up next, uh, the game I'm actually looking forward to most outside of Texas versus Georgia is Mississippi State at, against Iowa. And talk about two teams that I feel like this year are very different. Mississippi State is loaded with like big name talents across yeah. the board. Iowa, it, I mean, they've got some tight ends who are very good. Noah Fant, who's not playing. TJ Hawkinson is playing, but pretty much under the radar this year for the Hawkeyes. But they're very similar as a team because they will both just come up and punch you in the mouth. Yeah, and both defenses, again, play very well. Uh, Mississippi State obviously has a lot of draft guys on that defense, so I'm looking forward to play. I I wish Noah Fant was playing here, but it will be nice to see Hawkinson because he's going to be the number one target. There's no one else there with him. They're not going to be in their two tight end sets quite as much. I think they'll be more three wide. So we'll get to get a good look at Hawkinson and what it's like when he is the the true number one. And I know he won the Mackey Award, uh, but Noah Fant, I feel like, has been the number one guy in that offense all year long. So I'm looking forward to seeing him uh, against the Mississippi secondary. And I, Mississippi State, they have guys like Jonathan Abram. Small Peters, uh, Mark McLaren, their other safety. They're loaded not only with the guys up front, Montez Sweat and Jeffrey Simmons. Uh, everyone knows I love their offense. They run the hell out of the ball. Nick Fitzgerald, Kylan Hill, th- they will run it. And so that's going to be a fun matchup against Iowa that's traditionally a very good team against the run. I think Iowa this year just lacks the talent to stop Mississippi mm-hmm. State. They, yeah. just, they don't have the horses on defense to, to play with these guys, and especially with that option offense. So uh, I'm taking Mississippi State in this one. Yeah, and I am too. I Like you said, I think Mississippi State just has the advantage because they have a little bit more talent on offense, especially when no fans not going to play. So I'm giving the advantage to the Bulldogs. All right, LSU versus UCF. And it's really like LSU's B team against Central Florida because – Almost no one is playing. Devin White is, but Greedy Williams isn't. And I actually read an article on Sunday that like half the LSU defense has decided not to play in this game. So it's going to be huge. uh, Then a lot of them are also injured, too, and are not making the trip. I know one of their cornerbacks, their dad recently passed away. I don't know if he's going to be playing in the bowl game. So it is it's going to be a different LSU team than maybe what we saw against, you know, Alabama and Georgia. Uh, but I do still think that they have enough to beat UCF. And maybe I should throw this out there so Twitter doesn't go crazy. I don't hate UCF. I think (laughs) they're a good football team. I just am picking LSU to win. It is nothing personal. I'm just picking who I think is going to win this football game. And for me, it's LSU. So I I had LSU on here. I was going to pick LSU. And then I realized how many people aren't playing and the fact that they can really struggle to score points at times. And I know... Central Florida is without McKenzie Milton. Yes, I have watched the news and college football <laughs> within the last six to eight weeks. I know it. But I still think that UCF is a good enough team to shock LSU. I have a feeling that the Tigers are going to walk into this game and be above it. Like they're, They think they're too good for UCF. That's what Auburn did last year. Exactly. And UCF will punch you in the nuts. So that's why I'm picking the Knights. In a bit of an upset, I've taken a lot of heat on this podcast. People say that I'm not a UCF fan, that I'm not a friend of the Knights. Well, I'm picking you, so don't let me down. And their quarterback is still very good. And I will go on record. If McKenzie Melton were playing in this game, I would take UCF uh, without question. But their their freshman quarterback is still very good. Uh, that's just what's swaying my vote right now. So Dariel Mack Jr., is, he's been very good in the games that he's played. I just think that the depth of LSU, even though they're missing a lot of guys, is going to be too much for UCF to handle for all four quarters. Now, if they do come in like Auburn last year and they just think that they've already got this game won, UCF will win it easily. But I think that the Ed Orgeron team 
will come in focus. Now, I said that about uh, Harbaugh and Michigan, and I was completely wrong. So maybe this is the game where you get me. Uh, it's not my most confident uh, pick this week, but you know, I am going to go confidence meter. I think we broke that out once before, and we couldn't agree on a scale. So, But it's low. It's low in this one. I think you actually just picked the favorite in every game because you're trying to win the pick'em. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know, I didn't even put the odds in here until after I made my pick. Sure, but. you did trade it. Kentucky versus Penn State. Uh, we are split on this one as well. I'm taking Kentucky. I have to roll with my guy, Josh Allen. Uh, they are a, a team that I think has surprised a lot of people this year. And I know Penn State, like this is Trace McSorley's last game. He's probably going to be fired the fuck up. Miles Sanders yeah. is a very good running back. Like Penn State just doesn't have anybody on defense that scares me. So I think Kentucky, uh, with the run game that they have with Benny Snell and Again, with my guy Josh Allen on defense, he's going to be able to corral Trace McSorley, keep him quiet. I got to go with the Wildcats. I think this is going to be an incredibly low scoring game. The over under yeah. is set at 47, and I would take the under because I think that Penn State is going to try to hold on to the ball on offense as long as they can. And that Kentucky defense is going to be very good. I don't know that Kentucky is going to be able to do much on offense. They're, they're just so one dimensional. They don't have much of a passing game. You know Benny Snell is going to carry the ball uh, probably close to 30 times in this <laughs> right. game. It's going to be like Derrick Henry at Alabama. Right, and I think the magic number to win this game is like if your offense can score 20 points, you will probably win this game. But I am going to go with Penn State. I just think that they have more, more weapons than Kentucky because Kentucky is so one-dimensional on offense. Yeah, they, they are one-dimensional, that's for sure. I mean, their quarterback, uh, Wilson, 11 touchdowns, 8 picks on the year. That's it. That's right. That's like a day for a Texas Tech quarterback. And there are a couple players in, on that Penn State defense that are okay. Uh, they have the guy in the secondary, I can't say his name. Yeah, I know you're talking about. But he could, he could do something in the bowl game. Yep. All right, uh, next game, Washington versus Ohio State. This is Ryan Day's first game, or is Urban Meyer coaching? It's Urban Meyer's last Urban game. Meyer's last game. Oh, I was stating losing Urban Meyer's last game. No, no like, way. Yes. Not a chance in hell. It might also be Dwayne Haskins' last game at Ohio State. Right. We'll see what happens there. And I think the impressive thing about this one is, is I know it's the Rose Bowl, but almost everyone is playing. Haskins That's is true. not sitting out. Like yeah. some of these receivers not sitting out. Draymond the running Jones. backs. Yeah, they are all playing for Ohio State. And and from what I've read, the same for Washington. I couldn't find any reports of guys like Murphy sitting out or Rap sitting out. So I think it will be a pretty good game. But if Ohio State is hitting on all cylinders, they are a top four team. They've just had a little lapse here and there that have kept them out. But they're super talented. And I, I think that they're going to rally around Urban Meyer in his last game here. And they are going to win this thing. Yeah, I don't know that this one will be particularly close. And I love Chris Peterson. We've We've sung his praises before on the podcast. Washington's head coach is a very good one. Man, they are so limited offensively this year. Like, Miles Gaskin is a, a fun college player, but and Jake Browning is not that good. And right. the Ohio State secondary, they have struggled at times this year, but th- I think they're good enough to— Their linebackers are good, too, and they, they do have guys on the defensive line. They've got Jones and they've got Chase Young, who we've talked a lot about. Yeah. Um, I don't know, is Adams the tackle? Is he playing? Uh, Trey Adams for Washington, I believe he is playing. So that would yeah. be a good matchup. And since he didn't meet the four games, he technically, I think he's redshirting this year and Jeez. he's going to come back next year. But seeing if Adams does play and then their right tackle McGarry, I want to see what they can do against that Ohio State pass rush. Very true. All right, the last one, the big one. Our University of Texas Longhorns in the Sugar Bowl against Georgia. A lot of people have asked, are you guys going to be at this game? We are not because I'm frankly not home in January, so I need a night with my kids. Uh, 
whew, on paper, I don't see how Texas wins this ball game. And we are in agreement. So <laughs> taking off the bias glasses again, I didn't have them ranked in the top 25 in the preseason. Uh, I liked Texas's chances before I saw the whole Georgia team going off about how they needed to be in the playoff. I think that they're going to show up to this game and they're going to be pissed off and they're going to try to make a point of we should have been there in the playoff. And I disagree with that statement, but I think they are bought in. Uh, One thing that I am looking forward to is last year, Tom Herman really rallied the troops for that last game, that bowl game. And they played their asses off for him. Uh, So I think both teams are going to come in with a fan base that's going to travel, and both teams will want to win this game. It's not going to be like Florida and Michigan where Florida just shows up and kicks the shit out of them. So it's going to be a good game. I really wish DeAndre Baker were playing in this game. That's what I was going to say. DeAndre Baker is a first-round corner. Get, getting to see him matched up with Colin Johnson, he he wouldn't have covered LJ Humphrey because Humphrey's in the slot so much, but that matchup alone would have been worth the ticket. But now we're not going to get yeah. it. Baker decided to sit out, keep himself healthy for the draft process, which we respect. Do it, man. If, if that's what you want to do, do it. But if Texas has a chance, that's it. Attack the Georgia mm-hmm. secondary. Um, they obviously lost a lot to the NFL draft last year, Georgia did, especially on defense. So if there's an area that maybe – Maybe somehow Texas has a chance is if this gets into a shootout and, and they could then somehow turn this over. If Jake Fromm has a day like he did at LSU, then this is a different right. ball game. If they if they can find a way to pressure him with guys like Hager, uh, then maybe. But still, it's it's Fromm against a pretty young secondary still, and a secondary that at times looks like one of the best in the country, and then at other times you wonder how they're even starting. Yeah. So we'll see what we get with them, but it's still Georgia shouldn't be able to run the ball that well. Like the yeah. Texas run defense is very good. The under over under is fifty eight, which is about on the head. Like I, that seems I would probably about take right. the over, just because I do think we'll end up getting into a shootout. But spreads twelve and a half. Yikes! Now I I do think it will be a close game. So even if Georgia comes in just pissed off and focused, I do think that it is it's going to be closer than twelve and a half. I would take those points, uh, but I would pick Georgia outright to win. All right, that's our show. Hopefully you guys have had a happy new year. Melo and I will be back on Wednesday morning. Connor's traveling at the Rose Bowl, so we'll be back. Melo and I holding it down, getting you caught up on all the news from the New Year's Six Bowl games, recapping that, all the firings in the NFL, any hiring news that we're hearing. Uh, it's time to get into it with draft season officially here now. We're excited. Hopefully you're excited. Make sure you hop on to Apple Podcasts, subscribe. Go ahead and leave that five-star review. More hurt my feelings. Let's kick 2019 off great. We'll talk to you all Wednesday morning. Wednesday morning.